The U.S. men's national team is on the doorstep to Brazil, but first, they have to travel to a place they've never won before. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. Down in San Jose, Costa Rica, is Ivis Galarcep. What's up, man? Not so much, man. I'm doing pretty well. I'm down here in San Jose and uh, enjoying enjoying the, the, the hostilities down here from the Costa Rican fans who, who are definitely ready for this game. Uh, it seems like it's a nice thunderstorm every single afternoon, but uh, otherwise it's been pretty nice. And uh, there's a lot of gamesmanship going on down here, yeah. I got to say, from the from the Costa Rican Federation. And uh, clearly a lot of people down here are still upset about the snow game. Wait, ha- have you witnessed in any, any of it like firsthand, you know, the airport or the hotel or any of that stuff? Well, I mean, there's nothing happening at the team uh, hotel. I could tell you that they're, you know, pretty secluded uh, at, at their spot. It's it's not really open to the public. It's not a place people are going to be able to get to. They're not staying like in downtown San Jose. Mm-hmm. So that that wasn't too bad. But they did, you know, they they arrived in the airport on Tuesday. Uh, Costa Rica, the Costa Rican Federation, did not help set them up with with their kind of uh, arrival without having to go through the airport, which, you know, some other places that they've been to that I've, I've actually been with them a few times where, you know, they'll be set up with, with a, a way to kind of go through customs and, and, and avoid the having to parade through the front and the front of the public part of the airport. But they had to do that. There were fans there to greet them, and it wasn't anything too crazy, you know. <laughs> there, there, there was, you know, some screaming, some signs, but it was pretty tame, you know. I know that people here tried to play it up because they've never really had that before. And for them, it was an accomplishment to have that kind of turnout mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But it wasn't—it wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't anything too intimidating. They threw a few eggs at the bus, and you know, but it was tame. The was players. Tame. I noticed the comments afterwards. The players were pretty lighthearted. I mean, Tim Howard. He said he enjoyed it, and I watched the video of it. Jurgen had a big smile on his face. Omar looked like he loved it too. Uh, I mean, I thought it, in the video, Eddie Johnson, I thought he looked a little worried at a couple times in it. But you know, <laughs> for the most part, though, I mean, they, they all enjoyed it. And, and you're right. I mean, it's fun. It's fun, you know, to 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 be you know a U.S. men's national team supporter and, and watch that video and just say, hey, this is great. Like the world's starting to hate us because you know we're winning. That's awesome. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's not so much about the winning as is that snow game, you know, I mean, I, I've been down here before for games and it hasn't been quite as, uh, quite as much of a buildup as there is for this particular game. And it's pretty much because the fans here have been waiting since that snow game. And, and obviously after that game in March, uh, all the reports down here followed along with the comments of the Costa Rican Federation, which is what a travesty it's un- it's, it's just unfair that they even played the game. So everyone here felt, obviously felt, that you know they were cheated. They, they, it wasn't a fair, it wasn't a fair game for them, and and it's and it's good in a way that it's obviously you know stirred things up here in the country. I mean, I can tell you when I went through customs when I arrived, um, you know the, the the girl who was work, working in uh, you know checking my passport and everything. You know when I told her, you know I was going to be here for five, you know till Saturday. She pretty much was like, "Oh, you're here for the game, right?" And then you're going to leave. She's like. Oh, we're gonna win. Don't worry about it. And I was just like, "Oh, great!" So even like the, the customs people here are, are getting into it, and uh, so you know, it's great. It's and it's what you want. It's what you want to see. And I thought Landon Donovan had a really good comment today, talking a little about the atmosphere here. Is like you know, you'd rather play in front of a lot of people who do care rather than a, a, only a few people who don't care. And and uh, it, that, that's what you got here. You got people who care. They absolutely want their team to win this game. But I got to tell you, it's not going to be easy because the U.S. are playing well 
and they're coming in with a lot of confidence. There's a couple of things also going for the U.S. too. I mean, they don't have to play in Saprissa, which I think is a huge plus for the U.S. men's national team. And they have a lot of guys, like you said, that are, that are uh, in form um, right now for the team. And then the other thing, Ivis, that you said, especially with that snow game, if you look at the standings right now in CONCACAF, the U.S. is first with 13th. Uh, 13 points and Costa Rica has 11. I mean, if those teams, you know, played to a draw, they would be tied on points. Or if Costa Rica won, they could be first in the group. So, I mean, that game changed a lot of things. But for the U.S., Ivis, a lot of things could go right for them in this game that could, you know, increase their chances dramatically for World Cup qualification in 2014. Well, I can tell you. I mean, it's uh, the group. We're just talking to the guys, talking to the players. <clears throat> the the confidence level. I mean, it's palpable. You can definitely tell that that they not only are they confident at at the, this twelve game winning streak, but they know they're right on the doorstep. They know that if they get the right results in these next two games, even this next one game, that you know they could they could seal the the ticket to Brazil. And you know you can't take these things for granted. I mean, it could be just as simple as you know they could lose on Friday, they could tie against Mexico, and all of a sudden you go you go into Jamaica. And so the Jamaica game against Kansas City, you know, needing to win. And even if even if Jamaica is eliminated by then, you, you, you know, it's it's always tricky. Those situations are always tricky. So, um, again, Donovan said it best today is like, you know, you need to put this to bed as soon as you possibly can. And they have that opportunity. And and like you said, not playing in Supreme is huge for them. It's huge for the U.S., because the, the it, it, for on so many levels, the playing in Supreme the atmosphere, the the turf, the conditions, everything really uh, played in the favor of the, of the team here. And and I, I was here in two thousand and nine, and 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 Costa Rica absolutely jumped all over the U.S. in that game. The fans got into the game, and 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 at Saprissa, you had the fans almost right up on the field, right where as far as like the the where the, where the stands were, there just wasn't much room between the stands and the seat the seats where the the, the fans sat and the actual field. At the new stadium, there's a track, it, there's more space, and, and it's not as intimidating a venue. So for, from that standpoint, it's a, it's a big plus for the U.S. And also the fact that it's a grass field is a huge bonus for the U.S. Because, you know, they, they want to keep the ball on the ground. They want build to build up their attack and knock the ball around. And, and, and they're going to be able to do a much better job of that playing on grass. And last week, Ivis, the one thing we talked about, an advantage for the U.S. men's national team, is we discussed this the roster that Jurgen called in might be the strongest of all time. Um, and a couple changes, though, for the game that's going to be played on Friday in uh, in San Jose for the U.S. men's national team. Some positions are set based off what Jurgen has said and what we should expect. Demarcus Beasley, Fabian Johnson on the left side, they're in. Jermaine Jones, Michael Bradley, they're in. Clint Dempsey, he's in. Tim Howard, he's in. Matt Beasley, he's in. Ivis, there's four positions in my mind that, that some we can talk about a little more, some we really don't need to talk about, and there's four that we could see some changes. The center back one. I think Omar Gonzalez is in there, but some people have you know raised the you know the John Brooks, could he play type of thing. The center back, do you believe it's going to be Omar on Friday? Uh, I honestly, I don't know why we're even talking about it. I mean, I, it's a World Cup qualifier on the road. You're not going to have John Brooks start in a game like that. You're just not. Nothing against John Brooks. He's a great player. He's a great talent, he, he's, but he's young. You know, I talked to Tim Howard the other day about it, and he, he was impressed with him again, you know, in that uh, debut against Bosnia. But he's still young. He still has to learn. He still needs to gain the experience. This isn't the time to do that, especially when you have other guys who have played in these games, that have played against these same teams. I mean, Omar Gonzalez, for those who don't forget, those, for those who have forgotten, 
was outstanding against Costa Rica in the snow game. Obviously, the conditions are going to be way different on Friday. But the fact of the matter is he did really well in that game. And him and Matt Beisler are a good partnership. You know, why would you not want to go with that experienced group? Those guys who have those qualifiers under their belt, why would you not want to go with those guys and throw in a you know twenty year old player who's never played uh you know never played in the qualifier before into a game like that? That's just for me. I just don't think that's realistic. Well, I was staying on the defensive line, moving over to the right side. Obviously, Brad Evans was most likely going to get the start in this game based off how he's been on lockdown of of the right back position um, for the last couple of months. He's out. Jeff Cameron now is a possibility playing right back. So, you know, this conversation may be Michael Parkers, maybe Michael uh, Orozco Fiscal, but, you know, I think Jeff Cameron, who's been playing right back for Stoke City, uh, has also played right back for the U.S. men's national team in previous matches, will be getting the nod uh, on Friday. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I've heard talk about Parkhurst, and I, yes, I have heard the talk about Michael Orozco. I'm sorry, folks, it's not happening. I just don't see it happening. I really don't see Parkhurst happening just because he's not playing. He's not, you know, you, you, are you really going to start someone who is not even playing a minute in Germany for over someone who's starting games regularly at right back in the Premier League? I just don't see it happening. Michael Orozco, yes, he's gotten games at right back. But you know what? I don't, like, I don't know how you can stand him next to Jeff Cameron and say that he definitely gives you better options at right back than Cameron does. Um, he is not a, a, an attacking right back by mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. He's really a center back who's been transitioned over to right back. He can give you something getting forward, but that's not the strength of his game. So if you're on balance, when you compare the two, Jeff Cameron's a more athletic player. He covers ground better. Uh, you know, is he as good a passer? I think he is. I think he can. He can. He, he's not going to get forward a ton. But yeah, I, but I don't. You're think. Not if he plays be- right back. He's going to stay home. But you know what? If you're going to have a Landon Donovan on the right wing. Uh, possibly, then you know you don't maybe you don't necessarily need someone who's going to get forward as much. Mm-hmm. You're going to give Landon Donovan that freedom on the right wing. So for me, I think the only answer is Jeff Cameron at right back. I, well, I also don't see Jeff Cameron being asked to pass more out of the back. I mean, Demarcus Beasley is getting very comfortable at left back, and we saw his partnership last game with Fabian Johnson. You know, their their ability both of them to get back up the field and defend it. I mean, I think the U.S. maybe is going to want to go to the left side more. You mentioned Landon Donovan for the uh, you know right mid slash right wing spot up there. Couple things could happen here either way, though, especially with happen who's going to be playing the lone forward up top, assuming that this is going to be a four-two-three-one. But for the right mid, though, Ivis, do you see Landon Donovan starting there? I think so. I mean, I know, I know you've got a variety of options there. You, you, I mean, you can go Graham Zusi, you can mm-hmm. go Alejandro Bedoya. Um, I, I just, for me, I just think it's going to be Landon Donovan. I think he, you have to start him, and with the form he's on the way he looked in the gold cup how could you possibly not play him um no, you know that's no offense against uh, no offense against the other guys Graham Zusi, you know he had he had a bit of an injury that he was sidelined a bit he's back now um i just don't see him starting uh when, when you think about Bedoya he's the one where you kind of look at and say you you, you want to try to do you you find a way to get him on the field he's playing well his move to france is looking really good right now so he is absolutely an option to start but for me uh, a game like this, uh, you want to go for a player who's been there before, who's played in these kind of games, and he's in such good form. I, for me, the question isn't if he's going to is he, he going to start or not; it's where he's going to start. And I know there's options of mm-hmm. him playing up top. You could play him in a four four two, or you could play him on the right, or even centrally. I think he plays on the right. I think Dempsey's in the middle. I, I just. I don't see Landon Donovan on the bench for a game like this. Okay, well then, if Donovan's playing right mid, then that leaves Eddie Johnson starting up top. That's my projection. That's the one that I made uh, earlier hey, in the week. And, what do and you I'm know? Gonna just, what's that? What do you know? It's it's on the website. 
It's on the website. Yes. So Eddie Johnson up top. Uh, I, there's been, I, you know, I've gotten a lot of sense, a little bit of buzz that, you know, Aaron Hansen is impressed, impressing in training. He obviously looked good in his cameo against Bosnia. He's an option. He's a possibility. I won't rule it out completely. But again, going back to the experience factor, I just don't know if he ne- is going to necessarily throw someone in uh, who doesn't have that experience when he has other good options uh, who do have experience. And I know some people will look at, the, say, the Honduras qualifier in San Pedro back in February and Omar Gonzalez, who was thrown in into that game without having had qualifiers under his belt. That was a little bit of a different situation just from uh, from an option standpoint. You know, he, there weren't many other options. I mean, I know you could have gone Carlos Bocanegra, but, you know, Klinsman didn't feel comfortable there. Uh, this time around, though, you have, a quali- you have quality experienced options that you can go with over these younger, talented players like Johansson and Brooks. Nothing against them, but there's no need to rush them in when you have good experience options. Well, what's the latest on Josie Altidore? I mean, he was limited on Wednesday. I'm, I'm not sure what he did on Thursday. I mean, maybe you can tell us if you're at that uh, at that training for the U.S. men's national team. But uh, is there any chance that he starts on Friday? I wouldn't put money on it. I got to tell you. I mean, Wednesday was their last. You know, their last really. Full session, and, and you know, from what we could tell, from what I could tell, it, you know, he didn't partake uh, fully in it. So, if he hasn't really had a full training session, uh, they're not going to do a real hard tra- session the day before game. So, looking at it that way, I just don't see it. I just don't see him starting. I think, if anything, when you have a game against Mexico uh, next week on Tuesday, you know, why rush him now when you can make sure he's a hundred percent. Get him fit because again he hasn't trained since he had this. He picked up this injury, so we're talking about uh, you know uh, a week now that he hasn't he hasn't trained. So he's got to work on that. Um, so I you know if I, if I just my scenario is they rest him, they don't they don't push it. They have and then they try to have him available for Tuesday and, and lock things up in that Mexico game, especially when you have these other options at at your disposal like Johansson, like Eddie Johnson, Landon Donovan. There are other guys who can play forward and you know from that standpoint I wouldn't bet on your Josie Altidore playing in this game on Friday for the U.S. though we can go into a little bit about Costa Rica and their you know, the tactics and formation and all that stuff in just a second but for the U.S. though Ivis obviously we're going to see maybe some guys come off the bench and, and play important roles though but let's just say for example that that Eddie Johnson's ineffective is there any chance we could see someone like Landon Donovan pushed up top and Jermaine Jones taken out for Andrew Hansen or Bedoya I mean what, what type of changes if, if there could be any do you think we could see as far as certain guys coming off the bench and providing a spark or more defense or or a goal okay let me ask you this how many times have I said do not tinker with the Central midfield for the sake of having this dream attack. It's not happening. You're not going to take Jermaine Jones out and put in an attacking player, especially not on the road. It's not happening. You know, they get enough of an attack with Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones in the center, in the, in, in the middle of the park, and having the, the other attackers that they have, they will still generate enough of an attack. So that's not going to happen. Jermaine, for my money, Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley will be starting. That is not changing. What I will say is talking to you know Jurgen Klinsmann today, Jurgen Klinsmann made it pretty clear that the days is at least for you know going into this game on Friday, the the days of the U.S. going into road qualifiers and sitting back, playing defensively, uh, keeping numbers behind, it, are over. And that at least that's what that's what Jurgen Klinsmann insists. His, his the, you know his exact words were, "We're going to play our way and." 
see how Costa Rica deals with that. And so basically they're going to attack. They're going to go at Costa Rica regardless of what Costa Rica does because that one of the interesting side notes for this uh, you know, subplots for this game is Costa Rica bunkered in the Gold Cup, right? They, they, they just didn't really push numbers forward. And even in the snow game, uh, they set out to you know play a five-man defense. And that's pretty much been the MO of their coach against the U.S. is the five-man defense. Is he going to do that at home? Uh, that's that's the question mark. Are they really going to sit back and be ultra defensive in front of their own home fans? And Landon Donovan made the point today. He's like, you know, he just doesn't see it happening because they'll get booed off their park by their own fans if they do that. So um, that that's going to be an interesting one. I think Costa Rica is going to come out and attack. Uh, I think they're going to play 4-4-2 uh, and really try to go at the U.S. And, and attack them. And if they do that, I think that plays into the U.S.'s hands just because of the attack that they have. Uh, when you're talking about a possible attacking quartet of uh, Eddie Johnson, Fabian Johnson, Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, that I mean, that group should be able to create plenty of chances, and and, and I think they will. And I think if Costa Rica decides to try to attack, I think we'll see a great game, uh, uh, an exciting game, a back and forth game, and I think it, and that will play into U.S. strengths, and I think they can get that first win in Costa Rica. Well, I think for Costa Rica, their their glaring weakness is going to be their defense. They have a few guys who are starters recently uh, in the last uh, goal, uh, World Cup qualifying cycle they had uh, who actually aren't getting any playing time in Europe right now. And I think that could play into the U.S. hand where you're going to have guys who really aren't match fitness. Uh, but for the Costa Rica, though, their offense, Ivis, I'm assuming, not their offense, their attack. I mean, there's so much to say about it. Brian Ruiz. Everyone should be very familiar with him, former teammate of Clint Dempsey. Everyone knows what he's able to do. Alvaro Sabarillo and Joel Campbell. The attack of Costa Rica, how worried should the U.S. be, and, and what will these three guys try to do to the U.S. back line? Well, you know, all three of those guys bring different elements to the table, and that's what's interesting about Costa Rica when they are at full strength. Uh, I think it's easy for people to maybe to lose sight of the fact that, you know, that Gold Cup team, that Gold Cup tournament, right? Obviously, it was a not, it was not a USA team, mm-hmm. uh, even though it was still an impressive group who played really well. But much like the U.S. didn't have the A-team, Costa Rica didn't have an A-team either. They didn't have Joel Campbell there. They didn't have Brian Ruiz there. So it wasn't their full attack. Now you're going to see much closer to what their full attack can look like. And, you know, going back to the snow game, obviously the snow, the, the conditions there were not really conducive to helping Costa Rica attack, even though it didn't seem like they were planning to set out to attack anyway, come, coming with a, four, with a five-man defense. This time around, though, I think, like, if, you know, if I'm a betting man, I think they go 4-4-2, and I think they really try to go at the U.S. with that, that trio that you just mentioned, because Sabarillo has the strength in the air. He gives you that presence in the penalty area. Joel Campbell has the blazing speed to really stretch a defense. And then you have Brian Ruiz, who works the channels really well. He slips in the in between the lines, and he's just such a tricky player that he he just he just knows how to find space in a defense. And if you leave space open, he's gonna take advantage of it and he will burn you. And he's done it before. I mean, those who remember 2009 mm-hmm. at RFK Stadium, uh, you know, he torched the U.S. for a pair of goals the, back then. So he's, he, he's the, obviously the most dangerous option. Uh, but you know what? If the, U, the U.S. – it's easy to forget. The back four, if it's the back four that I think it's going to be, that's the same group that posted two shutouts in March. And I think they are good enough to do it again. A lot of guys who actually are going into this match with uh, with with a yellow card, and there's a lot of them. Josie Altidore, 
uh, Bradley, Beasler, Cameron, Dempsey, Evans, Howard, and Jermaine Jones all have a yellow card. And it, it could be interesting to see what happens in this. And hopefully guys, you know, play close to the chest. And, I mean, you'd like to see as many of these guys make it to the next match, which is going to be against Mexico. Uh, absolutely. I mean, these guys know what's on the line. And I don't know I don't know how much differently they will approach playing the game. I think they're definitely aware of the card situations in the sense that they want to avoid stupid cards. Michael Bradley made the point today that, you know, you don't, you you want to kind of, you know, make sure you're not doing anything silly, like engaging the referee, uh, you know, taking a shirt off after a goal, something silly like that. You just have to kind of be aware of the fact that, Hey, I can't afford the silly yellow card. Now, when you want to talk about, you know, potential yellow cards in the run of play, as you're playing, you know, you don't want to change your game too much as you, you know, uh, you know, say you're a central midfielder, you can't not make challenges out of fear of a card like you can't because then, you know, that that hinders you as a player. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to change the way people play, but I think it's going to it's going to be in the back of their minds. And I think they're going to try to be really smart about avoiding those silly cards. Well, Ivis, it's prediction time for us for this game. I need you to give me one wild card before you give me the score. So for the U.S. men's national team, who could be the wild card that could really make an impact on this game? Well, I'd say the player that really stands out in my mind is someone who could be a little bit of a surprise is Aaron Johansson. And I know some people might say, hey, he's not a surprise. He's scoring goals for Azed, blah, blah, blah. I don't think he's going to start. But I do think he's someone who can come off the bench and give you quite a bit. You know, I think he's... He, he's with his size, his speed, his his confidence on the ball. He can cause problems, and I think he's going to come off the bench, and I think he's going to make an impact in this game. Um, so I'd say he's going to have a hand in the game, in the result. And and I think you know what, I've had U.S. tying for a while now, but just being around this team, feeling the confidence, seeing the options they have, the weapons they have, knowing that Costa Rica isn't at a hundred percent strength, they're, they're, you know, when it comes to their situation. I'm going to go U.S. I'm going to go U.S. to make another bit of history by recording their first win uh, ever in Costa Rica. Do you have a score for me, Ivis? Uh, I'll go 2-1 two, two, Costa Rica. I mean, U.S. 2-1 two, two, USA, Aaron Johansson with the winner off the bench. Who gets the first goal? Landon Donovan. Ooh, see, I'll say 2-1. to one. I'll say Clint Dempsey gets two goals. Then I'll say Brian Ruiz scores for Costa Rica. Oh, well, that's easy. Brian Ruiz. I mean, come on. Well, this game, Ivis, also serves a great importance in the CONCACAF and in the the hex for every single team. If the U.S. wins this game, Mexico-Honduras tie, and Jamaica defeats Panama, the U.S. will automatically clinch and book their ticket for Brazil in 2014. A win is going to obviously increase their chances dramatically in, in, in pending some catastrophic nightmare. The U.S. won't qualify. But I think we looked in the past at previous hex qualifiers for the World Cup. I think 16 is about the magic number a team would need to qualify without having to do that play-in game. When we look at the other games, though, Ivis, Mexico-Honduras, that's big for both teams right there because the winner can move out and uh, and have a, a nice little lead for that third spot in the hex. But do you see Mexico losing to Honduras in this match? I got to say I don't. I mean, as much as they've struggled at home, they've had three shutout draws, three scoreless draws. I think they're going to get it done. They're at, uh, you know, Azteca doesn't have quite the imposing presence that it once had especially based on the results in this hex so far. 
But I think now they've had some time to really think about things. And there, there's just too much talent on that team to not get a win in this game. And nothing against Honduras. Honduras has quality, right? But that's a lot to ask of them. I think if they were to get – Honduras would be happy with the draw. So I think that, you know, for them, a win would be absolutely amazing for them. But I just don't think they can realistically expect to go into Mexico and get a win. A draw would be a, a big a success for them. But Mexico, I got to say, I just think – I just think they're going to get it done. And I know, you know, they haven't scored a goal in three games at home in qualifying. I just think they're due. In the other game, Panama is going to be taking on Jamaica. I just don't see any way that, that Panama is going to lose to Jamaica. And this is also important for Panama, too, because they want to get back in the picture of having a spot to at least try to qualify for the World Cup, because right now they're in fifth on the outside looking in. So I guess, uh, I think you and I will agree that Panama will defeat Jamaica. They absolutely should. I mean, they, at home, they, they, they've got a great uh, you know, fan support there. But again, uh, for those who remember, they, they opened with a, with a game against Costa Rica at home where they were up 2-0 and they blew the lead and tied at home. But again, Jamaica's a lame duck. It's tough to see them really getting up for, for this game and, and really posing much of a challenge for, for, for Panama on that one. So I'd say this. I'd say I just really don't see any way the U.S. qualifies on Friday. But again, a win and it sets up a great match on Tuesday against Mexico. And we could see, uh, uh, you know, a replay of 2005 when the U.S. beat Mexico to book their place in the World Cup in Germany. Ooh, dude, that just that gives me chills thinking about that, Ivis. That's going to be fun on Tuesday, man. I know we're, we're looking ahead. We shouldn't be. But it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's going to, you know, regardless of what happens. I mean, even if the U.S. loses on Friday, it's a good chance that a win against Mexico will set them up. To, to qualify, I think that's that's a pretty safe bet. But like I said, I think the U.S. is going to get a result. I, I don't honestly, I don't see the U.S. losing here. I think they can get a draw, maybe, but I do think they can win. Well, Ivis, the U.S. men's national team is not the only thing going on this week. And MLS Week 28 is going to be played. Also during the week, there were some midweek games. The Columbus Crew defeated the Houston Dynamo two to zero. Rookie Ryan Finley with the goal in this one. I mean, I'm sure Columbus Crew fans had to be extremely happy about about seeing him on the field and scoring some goals. But Ivis, I think the biggest thing from this is, yeah, I mean, I saw some people saying the Columbus Crew playoff hopes are alive. I, I don't see that. But for the Houston Dynamo, Ivis, losing this game, they're in the danger zone. Are they going to be out of the playoffs come two months from now? Well, i got to say, it's still early. And, you know, I think we've seen in years past uh, Houston Dynamo teams that you know struggled a bit middle of the year took a while to get it together but then when the playoffs got closer and closer they were able to put it together and i mean we saw that again last, we saw it last year last mm-hmm. year they they had to come into the into the wild card and and they, and they still managed to get to the final as it stands right now even with that loss they are tied with new england for fifth place in the east uh they're even on points on games played uh, you know, New England has the edge and goals scored. So it, it, there's still enough games to play that, you know, it, anything can happen. You have uh, eight games to go for both those teams. So, uh, but again, it, it, it is a little unsettling, especially when you have a team like the Chicago Fire who's coming up fast. They've closed the gap to the point now with their own Chicago Fire only two points behind Houston and New England, and they have a game in hand. So if Chicago takes advantage of the game in hand, all of a sudden you're talking about the Chicago Fire being in the playoffs. Being having a chance to be in a playoff spot, so I think Houston absolutely has to get it together now because there's even more competition for playoff spots than in years past. So uh, that was absolutely a tough blow. As far as Columbus goes, 
I don't see it, folks. I really just don't see it. I mean, I know, you know, you always wonder how a coaching change is going to spark things and how it's going to help a team maybe turn things around. I don't, I just, I'm sorry. I just don't think the crew had the pieces uh, to really close the gap on all the teams that are in front of them. I mean, think about it. They have to, they have to pass three teams right now, right? They have to pass the Fire, the Dynamo, New England, uh, or possibly Philly if Philly just completely falls apart. I just don't see it happening. I mean, I think New England is, is you know, they're a pretty strong contender. I think Houston's going to get it together. And I think the fire, I don't think the fire are going to slow down. I think the fire, for me, it, I, I see the fire getting in. I see the fire finding a way. So if you're Dom Kinnear, you have to be fully, and I'm sure he is. Dom Kinnear, is, he knows what's going on. There is a stronger, it's going to be a tougher race. Uh, for that last playoff spot in the East, and uh, the Dynamo are running out of time. Wait, the Fire are in. Who's out then? Union Revolution. It, uh, you know what? New England. It's it could it, absolutely. It could be Union. It could be Revs. Could be uh, uh, one of those two teams. Uh, if if you ask me to pick between the Fire and New England, I'm I'm probably going to go with Chicago. Uh, you know, I know New England. Their defense is, is look pretty strong, and I know their attack has really stepped it up here uh, of late. You know, with Kellen Rowe and Juan Agudelo. Diego Fagundes, those guys are really clicking. I, I, I get that. But I just think Chicago, with the pickups that they've made, and obviously Mike McGee, Bakari Sumari, those guys have been big key, a big key in their turnaround. Uh, and now with the pickups they've made late, uh, Arevalo, uh, the, the, you know, the Ecuadorian Ford that they signed, they, they have added some good pieces that I think are already showing signs. And, and for me, I, I think the Fire are going to make it. In the other midweek game, the Seattle Sounders defeated Chivas USA 1-0. Lamar Nagel with an excellent goal. Everyone should go check that out. But for the Seattle Sounders, Ivis, we've talked about this all year long. Ziggy Smith has also talked about it, how he doesn't have his full starting 11. And when you look at the starting 11 the Sounders put out against Chivas USA, yes, they also have a game this weekend, so they need to make sure they have players going into the game this weekend. But... I mean, it's amazing for a team like Seattle, for for what we've discussed all season long with they've never really had their true starting 11 and, and they've had injuries and guys being called up to the national team. Seattle is now third in the Western Conference and they're coming on strong here, Ivis. They're doing what we thought they do. I mean, I, they're doing what I thought they do. I mean, I, I said it all along. They had, those game in, they had those games in hand. And once they, you know, once they were able, if they were able to be healthy when the games came around, they came around, the schedule got a little more con, uh, condensed and they started to have to make those games up. If they, if they were, you know, if their team wasn't too decimated by injuries, they'd have the talent to get it done and to close that gap. And they've done it. And I think, I think third place is about where they're going to be. I think Salt Lake's going to hold on to the top spot. I think, New England, uh, I think LA is going to be number two. And I think Seattle can settle in at third. And even at that, even from that third position, you know, you have to like what they could, what kind of challenges they could present to a team like LA in the in the in the playoffs. You know, they they've obviously faced them before, but it's a little different now. Now, I mean, just think about the possibilities: LA versus Seattle in the playoffs, Clint Dempsey versus Landon Donovan. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, it, it, again, Seattle still has some issues to sort out, and Sigismund does have to kind of figure out what is his best eleven, what is the group that he's going to ride with. When it, the stretch run comes and when all hands are on deck, uh, and, it, and I think that's what he's still trying to work out. But the talent's there; the talent is absolutely there, and I think the bench has come along pretty well. Uh, you know, guys, you know, someone like Lamar Nagels, he's been a great, mm-hmm. great find for them. Uh, not fine, but uh, the fact that they were able to get him back from uh, from Montreal after having gotten Eddie Johnson for him, it's kind of a little bit of robbery there. But you know, I, I like I like their chances. I mean, hey, again, they're my pick to win MLS Cup, so. 
uh, I'm holding firm to that as much as LA looks really, really dangerous. And, and Real Salt Lake looks great too. So mm-hmm. I think Seattle's going to be right there. And uh, it's going to be fun to see how Siggy Schmidt shapes that starting 11. And even though it's World Cup qualifying time, I was, MLS is going to be played this weekend. Those midweek games weren't the only games. We, we're going to do some quick hits here, Ivis, some rapid fire. First game I'm looking at, New York, Houston. I think New York will get the victory in this one. Uh, you know, I got to say, man, they're so bad on the road. Houston, look, Houston, they've had their problems. But I think this is exactly the kind of game that could be a turning point for them. Because even though they are going to be missing uh, Oscar Bonnie Garcia, uh, who's not, as far as I know, is not with them for qualifying. Uh, they still have so many other pieces. Brad Davis, Will Bruin. Uh, I think they're going to have the pieces in place. The Red Bulls without Tim Cahill. Tim Cahill really is the engine of that team. And when he's not there, it's a big, big loss. It's a big difference. And and it's funny because, you know, this obviously this past weekend with the Thierry Henry benching, you saw that, hey, even without Henry, they can still find a way to win. I don't think the same can be said for Tim Cahill. Whether they, when they don't have Tim Cahill, when they don't have his energy in the middle, him setting the tone with his work rate and his hustle and his desire, when he's not there, they suffer. And then when on the road, when they aren't on the road, they're even worse. So I think it's tough. I think it's tough. The only way I see the Rebels uh, getting a result in Houston is if Terry Henry puts the cape on and decides, you know what, nobody benches me. I'm going to score a hat trick. Then yeah, sure. Then they, but honestly, I don't see it happening. I mean, I think. Uh, I, I, I think Houston's going to get it done. I think they're going to get that win and help help them solidify their place and get them back into that race. And, and a game on Saturday, Seattle's going to be at home coming off their midweek victory over Chivas USA. They're going to be hosting the Chicago Fire. Um, I mean, this 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 is another game I raised that could go either way with the with the full strength Fire squad taking on a Seattle side that doesn't have their their best players in there. So, what do you see in this game? Well, it's like you just said. You know, the, this lines up perfectly for Chicago to. To, to get a result against a team that maybe, you know, all things being equal, they might not be favored to get a result against. It's still tough to go to Seattle and get a result, even if even with them missing, you know, Dempsey, uh, Brad Evans, uh, potentially uh, their DP uh, forward. That could be a problem for them. Obafemi Martins, you know, with the injury. So, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can pick the fire in the road. You know what? I'll pick the fire. I'll say they'll pull the upset and uh, and, and make things even tighter in the East. Uh, in a battle of the please, please keep us in the discussion for the playoffs, Vancouver and FC Dallas will be taking on each other. Ivis, after this game, which team will deserve more praise for a possible playoff picture? Well, I this is an, I, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you like this. This is, for me, it's an elimination game. I think it's, a, you, you got to call it that. Uh, when you look, when you, and it's, okay, maybe that's a little harsh, right? Even if a team, even if those teams lose, chances are they're not that far behind the pack. But I just think, you know, the way both teams are going, if they lose, either of those teams lose, it, it's just it's putting them in the free fall because all of a sudden you fall three points behind the team you just lost to, and it puts you even further behind those teams that you're trying to catch. Because I think for me, I think both those teams miss out. I think the five in in the West are set: RSL, LA, Seattle, Colorado, Portland. I don't see any of those teams faltering. I don't see Vancouver or FC Dallas being better down the stretch than any of those teams. You know, I mean, of the five, you know, that the, uh, who's vulnerable? And I, I know some people look at the Portland results lately and say maybe they are. I think that's a little unfair. They've had some really tough results against some really good teams. I think for me, Colorado's the team maybe that's been playing over their heads. Uh, I think they could kind of come back down to earth a bit. But even with that, man, I look at Colorado – 
and I look at Vancouver and Dallas, and Colorado just impresses me more. I just I just think they hold those teams off. So I don't think it's going to matter, but it's definitely important for you know for both these teams to win. The and, and if it's a tie, it's going to be even more disastrous. And you know what? The way those teams are going, they're going to end up tying. It's going to be zero zero. It's going to be ugly, and bo- both teams are going to hurt their chances. Sporting Kansas City is going to be hosting the Columbus Crew. That game also on Saturday. Uh, obviously, Sporting Kansas City without Matt Beasler, Graham Zuzzi. Uh, in this, I mean, I was, could this be a game where the Columbus Crew have just caught lightning in a bottle and will defeat Sporting Kansas City on the road? Mm, slow down. I don't see it happening. Uh, you know, it, obviously, teams do get a bounce uh, when uh, a coach gets fired. Uh, especially if it's a coach that kind of lost his touch and maybe has lost the team a bit, and, and then a fresh voice comes in there and, and sparks sparks uh, a team. I just don't see it though. I, I, I think uh, uh, I said it before, and I hate to, you know, no offense, Columbus fans. I got nothing against your team. I just don't think this team did enough to strengthen their roster. And once they lost Eddie, Eddie uh, Gavin, and Glauber. Uh, that's two big losses for them. I just, I just don't think they have the weapons. I just don't think they have the weapons to pull it off. So, uh, you know, I don't see it. And in another game, L.A. is going to be taking on the Colorado Rapids. Uh, L.A. without Omar Gonzalez, Landon Donovan, obviously. Uh, could this be a game that Colorado takes advantage of uh, Omar Gonzalez-less Omar Gonzalez-less back line? That's horrible, but you know what I mean. You really, you really had to challenge yourself with that one, didn't you? I know. Omar Gonzalez-less. There you go. I think that's how you say it. L.A. without, you know, is Keen with L.A.? I don't think he is, but if you don't have Keen, you'd have Donovan, you'd have Omar Gonzalez. That's a lot to lose, but I will say this. Bruce Arena, through the years, has shown an affinity for these exact kind of games where he's missing a lot of stars, he puts his bench guys in and bench guys find a way to get a result. And I think that happens here. I think they're going to get it done. Uh, it's it's a little tough because those guys aren't the only ones missing. Jaime Pinedo, their goalkeeper, the guy who's taken over the number one spot, he's missing as well. He's with Panama. It's tough, man. That's a tough one. That's a, You know what? I'm going to say tie. I'm going uh, to just – you can call it the easier way out. I think it's the fair way to go. I think L.A. still has enough talent there to, to get a win, but I think Colorado's tough. Very tough, and I think it's a draw. Well, Ivis, we reached the SBI Q&A part. We didn't have it the last show. Apologies for that. The show we recorded very late. Um, but as always, everyone can send questions into the show on Twitter. Hashtag Ask the SBI Show. You can ask questions at any time. Uh, Ivis and I always go back and look at what the questions are from, from days. We, we don't even record, so please always send in questions. Ivis, first question comes from Dave Bresky. Are Landon, Don, are Landon and Robbie the best offensive tandem in MLS history? That's a good question. Uh, they look pretty good. They've got two MLS cups under their belt. Uh, There's some – I don't know, though. There, there's some great tandems in the history of this league uh, when you think about uh, uh, whether it's the Jaime Moreno-Marco Echeverri uh, tandem or uh, – I don't know, man. I had to think about it. It's, uh, when we look at teams that have won titles – uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a better tandem. I, I think they're right there. I think they're, if, if if there's a short list of the top five, if you're doing a ballot, they're they're on it. They're but the very very best. Ooh, that's a tough one. If they win it this year, if they win, if they did they pull off the three peat, then yes, you can you can say this is the best tandem in MLS history. Next question comes from Mark Peter Detweiler. What's going on with Chandler? I feel like there's something we don't know. That's a good question, my man. And uh, the way I, I honestly, I just think it's a case of a guy 
who has not shown a commitment to the national team and not shown enough of a desire to play for the national team to to keep his place. And I think the sense that I've gotten, I mean, I you know, in talking to Klinsman over the past few months, is that there is some question there. There is some doubt there about how he feels about it, you know? And, and look, he's cap-tied. He can't play for anyone else. That's not the question anymore. It's not a question of, does Tim Chandler want to play for Germany? It's not that anymore. Now it's the question is, does he care? Does he care about the national team? Does he care about getting called up? Does he care about going to the World Cup? Because you know what? Other guys do. Other players do. Other German-Americans do. Jermaine Jones, Terrence Boyd, Fabian Johnson, all those guys. They, it, it's clear that it means a lot to all those guys. Tim Chandler, not as clear. And I think for that reason, Jürgen, just looking at it, my observations, I think Jurgen Klinsmann just got fed up with it. I think he just got fed up with continuing to cater to the whims of Tim Chandler. And, and you know what? He's a good player, but at a certain point, it has to matter to the player. You can't, you can't, you know, chase after a guy. It it shouldn't matter that much to him. And it just, and it doesn't seem like it does, you know. And at a certain point, the other players on the team are going to look at it and say. Why are we babying this guy? Why are we continuing to call him in only to have him reject call-ups? You know, like at a certain point you say, you know what? We are fine without you. We will move on. We'll be in Brazil. We'll get we'll, – we'll go find other right backs. And I think at this point he's really going to have to work hard to get back in. And and that's – and it's more than just playing well in the Bundesliga. He's going to have to really, really show Klinsmann – that he wants it, that he wants to be back. And you know what? At this point, I don't know if anyone can honestly say that it matters to him. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe magically he gets injured every time he gets called up. I don't I don't know. I don't know what it is. But for me, looking at it, it just seems like he just hasn't shown enough that he cares. Next question comes from David Zeller. How high can U.S. men's national team climb and world rank to improve World Cup lot for the draw? And what he means is the, the top eight teams are drawn as the number one seeds in their group. So U.S. would have to get Top eight, Ivis. I, I don't see that happening. It, you listen, man. No one knows this freaking formula. There's no. It, it's it's you know it's just, it's one of those FIFA secrets. Like what the exact process is, what the exact how much you is. pay set bladder. That's what the process is. I don't know. I don't know about that. But I would say, <laughs> listen. As long as the U.S. keeps winning, it'll it it can only help their chances, right? I just don't think I don't think there's this magic number where you could say, okay, if they win X games, they're going to get the top eight seed. No. But you know what? If they win, <coughs> if they win out, if they keep this winning streak going, if they clinch a place in the World Cup, uh, in the World Cup, um, and finish on top of Concacaf, maybe, maybe they could get a top eight spot. But I, I wouldn't hold my breath on it. I really wouldn't because again, you have to remember a lot of the when it comes to that process, they look at past World Cup performances, and and if you look at the past three World Cup performances, uh, two thousand and two, two thousand six, two thousand and ten. You've got two pretty good ones. In 2002, obviously, you get to the quarters. 2010, you get to the round of 16, and you won your group. But there's still that last place finish in 2006 that kind of hangs over them. So it's. I just think I think it's going to be tough. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think I think that I've I've heard this question for years. People asking about that. People curious about that. Oh, can we get a top eight? Can we get a top eight? There are no easy groups. There's never going to – the U.S. will just not get an easy group. It's not going to happen, folks, because you know what? There's so many good European teams. The U.S. is almost always going to end up with two European teams. It's, 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 it's just always going to be tough. 
Um, so I think people should need to worry less about that. Worry about less about the dynamics of the potential draw and, and just enjoy the team and enjoy the continuing growth of this team. And you know what? If this team keeps playing the way they're playing and keeps improving and keeps finding new players and keeps improving the depth, it's not going to matter. The C's not going to matter. The, the, the group's not going to matter. What's going to matter is that the U.S. is strong enough to compete against anybody. It's time for us to stretch our uh, our football knowledge. Kyle Dwettweiler is the question. NFL picks. How are your Washington football team going to do? That's what it says in the tweet. So. <laughs> uh, I couldn't tell you, my man. I know if RG3 is healthy, we're going to be a good team. So beyond that, though, I, I, I did a little prep for my fantasy draft. My, I'm, in one, I'm down to one fantasy football league that I've been in forever. What, what's your team uh, name? <laughs> I don't know if I. I, I it's it's, not, it's a, not it's appropriate. A, it's a secret. It's not for. It's not for publication. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. No, but anyway, uh, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I, honestly, man, I've spent a lot of time on that. I spent maybe one day prepping for my fantasy draft. It's all about soccer in my world, man. I, I got no time. Dude, for you're telling else. me, man. I, I walked in the other day. My roommate was watching college football, and I was like, dude, college football already started. I. It's like, where did the summer go, man? Well, I mean, the MLS season's almost done. What about almost done? It's eight games. Eight games left. That's crazy. It's a good chunk. I'm just it's saying, a good it's chunk. Crazy. The race, the race, the you know, the last two months of the season are here, and it's going to be. I think it's going to be a great race. Great race. Well, I'll let Kyle know. My team is the Arizona Cardinals, and they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. So uh, that's my pick. Um, Bill Fetcher is the next question. Should players with yellow cards risk be held out of tomorrow's game? They, you know, I've been hearing this. Right. This this has been kind of a popular topic the last few weeks. Uh, some U.S. fans seem to think that. You know, you're going to hold guys out. You, that's just not how it's done, folks. You play your strongest team now. You play. You're not. There's none of this looking ahead to Mexico. That's just ridiculous. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I know some people. For some people, the Mexico game means everything, right? So that's what matters. But no, what matters is the game in front of you, and you can't, under any circumstances, put anything less than your best team out. And regardless of cards, you put your best team out. And if you get cards, if if you get guys who ends up getting getting suspended, other people's other people have to step up. Simple as that. And with the depth this team has, how are you going to honestly sit there fearing the possibility of cards? I know they don't want these guys to get cards, but nobody's sitting here afraid, definitely afraid of not having guys for the Mexico game. That's not reality. Klisman is going to put out his strongest team. They're going to try to avoid cards against Costa Rica. It's as simple as that. Well, Ivis. That wraps up the show today, man. We, uh, today, uh, you, I bet you have a lot more prep to do for the Costa Rica game, man. So uh, I'm going to let you go a little early. We're not going to keep it a long show today. But uh, you enjoy yourself down there in San Jose, man. Thanks, man. Well, uh, hopefully we can uh, crank out a show on Saturday. Uh, we got the game Friday night. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't bet on us doing a late night Friday show. Uh, but I think Saturday, hopefully we can get together and give folks something to listen to over the weekend. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll be awake for that Friday night show, Ivis. Well, I'll be awake. I just won't be near a microphone. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you have a good time down there. I'll talk to you later this week, and uh, and be safe, Ivis. Don't get caught in any of those uh, gamemanship by the Costa Ricans. No, I'm, I'll be all right. They, I, I think folks here think I'm Costa Rican anyway, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> well, have a good time out there, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. And as always, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. This is the SCI Show. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. Uh, fresh to death she is. 
From her steps to the set she is So death might not let me live You did fresh, uh-huh, yes she is Had a feeling that it would be a day like this The orchestra in my mind don't play like this, nah But I'm prepared for it, got a little red for it Brushed off my ass, even cut my hair for it Cause normally I don't care for it, don't even be